And I would invite you to close your eyes and listen to the word of God. And then Steve's going to lead us in prayer. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of their fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. Let's pray together. Father God, in these verses, you have revealed to us the things that are important to you. You have revealed to us your heart. Father, I pray that we will examine these things. We will look at them and realize that uh, we are to have no other gods before you. That we are to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. That we are to reverence your name. Lord, my prayer is that we will listen to your words. We will hear your words. We will apply these words to our life so that our heart may become like yours. Bless us now, Father, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. You might wonder why it is that we stand from time to time when we read from the Word of God and not all the time. Sometimes when we ask you to stand, it's because we're simply reading the declarations of the Lord, the heart of God. That's exactly what happened just a minute ago. And the reason we ask you to stand in those moments comes directly from the Old Testament. When Nehemiah finished rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem, Ezra was the high priest. Ezra found the book of the law. It had been hidden for a long time. He stood on that wall and opened the scrolls that contained the law of God, and he began reading. When he started at 8 o'clock in the morning, they had no idea how long he would go. The people were standing before him. They stayed there for four hours. At noon, they took a break. They came back at one o'clock, and for another four hours, they stood out of reverence for the reading of the law of God, and they listened to Ezra continue reading. That type of reverence has a place in worship. When we hear the heart of the Lord, 
we really should stand to receive it. We should listen intently, and we should work as hard as we can to apply what we heard to our lives. God blesses that type of a relationship. Now, when we read from Exodus chapter 20, you heard very familiar words, words that we would call the, the Ten Commandments. And I don't really want us to focus on those except to say this, those commandments were the very heart of the Lord. When Moses came back and read for the children of Israel what God had shared, when he read off of those tablets, there was thunder, there was lightning, there was a storm. God was moving around them, and they were all very, very aware of it. Did you hear what the Bible said? After those commandments were given to them, most of the people, if not all of the people, were afraid, and they remained at a distance from the Lord. Moses was the only one he was the only one that approached God. That was not God's intention. If you read Exodus chapter 20 and you read through it very quickly and you see that type of reverence and fear, you might think that that was holy fear. It wasn't. It was unholy fear. What God intended when he shared his heart with the children of Israel was for them to draw near to him, but they remained at a distance sending Moses on their behalf, asking somebody else to go close to God because they didn't feel like they could. From the time of the Garden of Eden, it has been God's desire to have a close, intimate, walking relationship with His children. But we have continued to push Him back. We have continued to keep Him at arm's length. And it breaks the heart of God. Let me show you some of the commands in Scripture. We're going to go to the New Testament for this. We'll be going through some passages pretty quick, so if you're not able to keep up, Terry's going to put the references up on the screen. You can write them down and look these up yourselves. James chapter 4, verse 8. James writes, Come near to God, and He will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now those are James' words, but he's writing inspired by the Holy Spirit, and God says, I want you to draw near to me, and if you will draw near to me, I will draw near to you, and we can have a close connection. We can have a close, intimate relationship. That was all made possible for us today by Jesus Christ. When Jesus died on the cross, he made it possible for us to draw near to God, to come close to him, to know him for who he really is, and be known by him. Doesn't that kind of a relationship sound wonderful? Yet again, a lot of people just pushing back, and they try to stay distant from him. Listen to what happens when that takes place in one of God's children's lives. This is in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 7. And I want you to listen for the emotion in this verse. While you were doing all these things, declares the Lord, I spoke to you again and again, but you did not listen. I called you, but you did not answer. Do you see the heart of God, the desire of God to have relationship with his children? And he says, I called to you and you didn't answer me. I was speaking and you didn't listen. Why would you do that? If you were listening for the emotion, you can almost hear God's heart breaking in those words. I wanted this type of a relationship with you, but you pushed me back. You wouldn't listen to me. You wouldn't draw near to me. Now, that was true in the Old Testament that people approached the Lord that way. And within New Testament Christianity, it is still true. A lot of people remain distant from God, not believing that they can have a close relationship. They would send somebody else into his presence and remain right where they were at. I want you to think in terms of that from Exodus chapter 20. You want to be counted among the group of people that remained right where they were at? Or would you rather be a part of that group that said, we went into the very 
presence of God. Most people that are Christians would choose the latter. We would want to go into the very presence of God because you see there, when you get into His presence, there are secrets that are revealed to you. Those secrets, when you begin to understand them, they will challenge your mind. They will inspire your thinking. And once that has happened, you will find things in the presence of God that will motivate your soul, will challenge and fascinate your soul because of your relationship with the Lord. Take a look at those two different things, things that challenge your mind and things that challenge your soul with me for just a few moments. I want to take this from Richard Blackaby. He's written a book. He's actually written several with his father, Henry Blackaby, but this one he wrote on his own. In it, he writes these words. God is infinite. His character is so multifaceted that even if we were to spend every day for the rest of eternity trying to understand and know him, we would not have plumbed the depths of his nature. Think, for instance, of God's immeasurable love. How much love did it take for the Almighty Creator to humble Himself, to become a man so He could suffer on a cross and redeem His rebellious creatures from their sin? How much love does it take for God to know and deeply care about each individual among the billions of people inhabiting the earth? How long would it take us to fully comprehend the magnitude of God's love? Or consider God's power. How much power did God need to create a universe out of nothing, to initiate human life, to defeat sin, to raise Jesus from the dead. How long would it take us to know the extent of God's power? Think of God's wisdom. He knows how to create a universe. He's familiar with each cell that makes up the body of every person on earth. He witnessed every event in history, and he's completely aware of each situation that will occur in the future. There are no mysteries for God. He knows everything. How long would it take you to know the mind of God? He's willing to share it with you. And I would add to that. How far are you willing to go? How long? And how deep? You see, it is the depth of a relationship with the Lord that he is really interested in. There is a place for length, but it is really depth that God cares about. A lot of folks will look at other people and say, I haven't been a Christian as long as they have been, therefore I cannot know as much about God as they know. Well, God says, I just want you to jump in. You get involved in this, and because of the Holy Spirit, you're going to be able to swim and you're going to be able to understand wonderful things. Go deep. And the deeper you go, the more that will be revealed to you. Let me show it to you, actually, in the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Or I'm sorry, chapter 2, verse 6. Paul writes these words. He says, We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. But God has revealed it to us by His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, listen to this, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. 
The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. Here's the paraphrase of that. When you became a Christian, the Holy Spirit took up residence in your life. When you received the Holy Spirit, you received great insight. You received the ability to understand things that prior to that moment were nothing but a mystery and secrets. Things that people without the Holy Spirit cannot even begin to fathom. But you, because of the Holy Spirit, you can understand them. They're the deep things of God. And the Spirit takes you into those. The deeper you go in your relationship, the more understanding there is. And your mind will always be going and growing and receiving new things from the Lord. Isn't that exciting? It really is. That's what's possible in a relationship with the Lord when we choose to grow closer to Him, to draw close to Him. That's the depth of the relationship. When you add to that length, time spent with God, you begin to add experiences. Let me illustrate it for you this way. Tina and I have been married for 22 years, just over two decades. When we first got together, I didn't know everything about her. Those were the wonderful days of dating when you would stay up all night long and talk and ask all kinds of questions and find out how a person feels and thinks about certain things. Those were exciting days. How many of you remember those days in dating? If you do the work in those moments, then you're laying a foundation so that after you've been together for several decades, you're not necessarily learning new things about one another, but you are learning new things together. And sometimes that means revealing things about yourself and finding out new things. But for the most part, what it means is we're now adding experiences to our relationship and we're learning things together, discovering things with one another. I can tell you after 22 years of marriage, I know how my wife feels about most things. She knows how I feel about most things. I know what makes her happy. I know what makes her sad. I know what a perfect day looks like for her, and I know the things that she would just as soon never do again. And she can answer those same questions about me. But because we've been together this long now, as we're adding experiences with one another, learning new things together, the length and the depth of our relationship are both growing. The same thing is true in our walk with God. In the early days of your relationship with Him, you're asking, hopefully, asking all kinds of questions that help you understand how He feels about things, and you're adopting those mindsets, and then as you add length, years, decades with Him, then you're beginning to see all kinds of new things. Not that God is learning with you, but that you are learning with God. Now, we've been studying relationships for the past few weeks, and so let me just say this to you. If you do the work early on, in a marriage relationship to learn about one another and you really invest yourself in that so that you find out how your spouse feels about everything years later you will be learning together if you do not do that early on years later you'll find out that there's nothing holding you together and you have drifted apart and you're no longer learning together and experiencing life together you're doing it individually so do the work early so that later it comes much easier, and you continue to add to the depth and the length of the relationship. Does that make sense? Those of you that have experienced it, say amen. The same thing is true in your walk with God, and your mind will just continue to go and go and go. And not only do you see things that are going to challenge your thinking, but you see things that challenge your soul. 
Go with me to the book of Proverbs, if you would, right in the middle of your Bible. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 5. Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, says this. The purposes of a man's heart are deep waters, but a man of understanding draws them out. When we draw near to God, it becomes possible to discover the purpose for your life. I'd like to have a dollar for every person that has ever told me that they just don't understand why they're here. They don't know what they were created for. They don't understand their purpose. They have never discovered it. Well, Solomon says, the purposes of a man's heart, and by the way, this is particularly difficult for men. Women can grab hold of a purpose for their life a lot easier than men can. Men struggle with this. And Solomon says part of the reason for that is it's deep water. You've got to get deep into understanding yourself and understanding what God created within you to find that purpose. The Bible says that there is a man of understanding that draws that out. You know who that man is? That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can help you discover the purpose for your life. And when you trust Him, when you trust the Lord, when you trust Jesus, and you say, I need you to help me find this purpose so that I can live according to it, He responds. The Spirit begins to help you understand it, and you get the chance to live within it. That's exciting. I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday from Missouri. His name is Chris Mabry. Chris is actually working now with Tim Hawkins, the comedian that a lot of people are going to go this afternoon to Coeur d'Alene to see, and Tim is a, a great comedian. Well, we knew a number of years ago that when he first started traveling, Chris was traveling with him. Tim is Chris's cousin. When we were in Missouri, Chris worked for the Missouri Department of Transportation. I knew he didn't love it. I knew it was not the purpose of his life. He was just never really satisfied in what he was doing. Well, when Chris and I were talking yesterday, he said, Phil, I have found what I was created to do. So I said, tell me the whole story, Chris. How did it come about that you started working full-time with Tim? And he went through all the details of the story. And he said, when he sat down with his wife and said, Susan, this is what I'm thinking. I want to leave this secure job that we have with MoDOT and go to work with Tim. She looked at him and said, it's what you were created for. And Chris went on to say, it truly is, Phil, and I am living the dream. As he described it to me, I could hear the change in his, his heart and in his life from the last time we talked, eight, nine, ten years ago, when Chris was saying, I just do not know what I am doing. I know that this is not what I'm supposed to be doing. By the way, that doesn't mean that working for the Department of Transportation isn't right for some people. It just wasn't right for Chris. And Chris today walked away from all the security of it to go and do what he believes God created him to do because the Spirit was searching out the deep things of God in his life and had gone into the deep waters of his life and helped him understand that that's what he was supposed to do. And there's great ministry attached to it now and great satisfaction for Chris as he is living in what one author would refer to as the sweet spot of his life, right where God wanted him to be. He found his purpose. He would not have found that had he not been growing closer to the Lord all the time, had he not chosen to walk into the presence of God even when it was scary had he not chosen to go near to the Lord, even in the midst of the thunder and the lightnings and the storm. But Chris did. A number of other people have as well. And they understand what's possible in that type of a relationship with God. It is inspiring. Absolutely inspiring. Some people say, how do I pull it off though? I want to know how to do it. That's what I desire. I want that type of a relationship. But how? Well, I want to spend the rest of this sermon helping you figure that out. 
and hopefully we'll find some keys to answering that question for you. The first one, I believe, is found in the, the Old Testament again, in the book of Jeremiah. If you're in the book of Proverbs, you can go over to Jeremiah chapter 33 with me. I want to share with you verse 3. As you're turning there, and it's really good to see this verse. So as you're turning there, let me give you a little trivia about this. Jeremiah 33.3 is actually written right up here on our wall behind the drywall. When we moved into this building, we asked the church to come and write scripture all over the whole building. So there are verses of scripture written on the concrete. There are verses of scripture written on the ceiling. There are verses of scripture written on the studs all through the building, down the children's wing, the student wing, in the library, in the office wing, here in the sanctuary. There is scripture literally everywhere through this building. Then we covered it up with drywall and carpet and the ceiling and all those kinds of things. So nobody ever gets to see it. But the point behind it was to make sure that this church was built on a foundation that can never be moved. And that is the word of God. Amen. So right up here across this part, right behind, for God so loved you, is this verse. Ray Brossman wrote it up here. I remember Ray standing on the ladder writing Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 3, word for word, out on the, the studs that are up here. And this is what that verse says. Call to me, and I will answer you, and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. I love that verse. That's a command from God. You call to me, you ask, and I will show you great and unsearchable things that you do not know and it is true i've lived it over and over and over again and i know many other people that have as well they have called to god and god has revealed great things to them that they did not know but in order to do that you have to change some of the ways that you approach the lord some of the ways that you call to him i'm going to ask mel gibson to help illustrate this this is a clip from the movie the patriot it's a good spot Boys, listen to me. I'll fire first. I want you two to start with the officers and work your way down. Can you tell the difference? Yes, Father. Yes, Father. Good. Samuel, after your first shot, I want you to reload for your brother Nathan. Now, if anything should happen to me, I want you two to drop your weapons and I want you to run as quickly as you can. Now you hide in the brush, make your way home, get your brother and your sisters and you take them to your own Charlotte's. Understood? What did I tell you fellas about shooting? Aim small, Aim small Miss Small. Aim small, Miss Small. Boys, Samuel, steady. Aim small, Miss Small. Oh, yeah, you want to see what happens now, don't you? <laughs> Aim small, Miss Small. There's great teaching in that, particularly within the realm of Bible study. What Mel was teaching to his kids was this. I want you to aim small so that you hit right where you're at. Pay attention to what you're aiming at. Within the realm of Bible study, the exact same philosophy works. In the smallness of studying God's Word, you can learn great things about Him. A lot of people have a Bible study approach that looks like this. They get up in the morning, they open up their Bible to any place that it just happens to fall open, and they start reading. Then the next day, they'll do the same thing. They'll open up and they'll just start reading. Most of the time, when people study the Bible that way, they are looking for something for God to say to them. They are seldom ever looking for what they can learn about God. They're looking to be inspired themselves. If you want to know God and know his heart, then you have to be purposeful in how you study the word of God. And smallness comes into play here. So let me give you a Bible study technique to help with it. If you'll sit down with a piece of paper and just start writing out questions that you have, and maybe you've had them for a long time, 
Make the list as long as you want. It could start with questions like this. Where did God come from? Then maybe you want to get into asking God certain questions. When did Jesus come on the scene? Why was it necessary, God, for him to die on the cross? You might want to get into some other questions that would sound like this. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, what is that all about? Then you could jump into all kinds of other questions and say things like this. God, what does all the teaching of the Old Testament have to do with my New Testament faith? Maybe you're curious about heaven and you want to ask questions along those lines. What's heaven going to look like? Where's it going to come from? Where's it at today? Maybe you're more interested in in learning things about hell. Is there really a hell? Are people really going to be there? What does it take to be sent to hell? You just start making a list on and on and on. This list goes and eventually you get to that place where you say, what is the purpose for my life? And then you open the Bible and start exploring, answering those questions, exhaustively looking for explanations until you can say on question number one, I have a firm understanding of this now. I know where God came from. I know how long he has existed. I know all about him. And you move on to the next question. You do the same thing. In a growing relationship with God, you will continue to add small questions to that list. And this Bible study technique could take you years, literally years of every day studying the Word of God to exhaust questions. And you are aiming small at every one of them and hitting the bullseye. Everything that I just listed out, by the way, are questions that can be answered from the Bible. If you open it up and you start studying it in smallness, you can discover the answer to those questions. Maybe you need some help with that. Call some people to say, where do I start? And then get moving in it. Today in the day of the internet, there are wonderful tools like Bible Gateway that can help you with these things. BibleStudy.org can help you with these things. You can just type in your question and begin exploring it. It's fascinating to grow that close to the Lord and to grow that way. So I encourage you to try it. You aim small that you might miss small. That's how you get that type of a bullseye faith. And folks, it will inspire your mind. Then what you will also find is that you can change your prayer life in the same regard by aiming small that you might miss small. Here's what I mean by that. Most people today, when they approach the Lord in prayer, they think to themselves, God is so busy because we live in a busy society. God is so busy. I don't want to bother him with small things in my life. I don't want to, want to bring these things before him because he has big things to deal with. So our prayer life sounds like this. Lord, take care of the missionaries, bring peace to the Middle East, and feed the hungry. See you tomorrow. And that's the end of the prayer. And that's how we pray, which is a wonderful prayer if you are running for Miss America. But it is a terrible prayer if you are trying to get close to God. So the same thing works here. You begin to pray in smallness, bringing God into every aspect of your life. You might think to yourself, there's just no way I can do that because God really doesn't care about small things in our lives. Yes, he does. Let me show you why I believe that. Let's go to the book of 2 Kings. We're going to start in 2 Kings chapter 2. Elisha is the prophet during this time. He's one of my favorite Old Testament characters. Chapter 2, verse 19. The men of the city said to Elisha, Look, our Lord, this town is well situated, as you can see, but the water is bad and the land is unproductive. Bring me a new bowl, he said, and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went out to the spring and threw the salt into it, saying, This is what the Lord says. I have healed this water. Never again will it cause death or make the land unproductive. 
and the water has remained wholesome to this day, according to the word Elisha has spoken. They were concerned about drinking water. They'd come into this new city and they said, it's well situated and we can defend it and God's provision is here, but the water is bad. They went to the prophet of God, which during those days was the right mode. So they went to the prophet and said, everything is wonderful about where we're at today, but the drinking water is bad. And the prophet of God, Elisha said, well, let's do something about it. God does the same thing. But did you notice they had to bring it before him? Elisha had had a taste of the water himself, but he waited for them to come. God knows the things that are happening in your life, but he wants you to come and bring the small things before him. He cares about drinking water, folks. So that means he cares about the things of your life. You might think to yourself, hmm, I don't know about that one. Well, let's keep looking here in the book of 2 Kings. Go over to chapter 4 with me. We'll take it a step further. Verse 38. Elisha returned to Gilgal, and there was a famine in that region. While the company of the prophets was meeting with him, he said to his servant, Put on the large pot and cook some stew for these men. One of them went out to the fields to gather herbs and found a wild vine. He gathered some of its gourds and filled the fold of his cloak. When he returned, he cut them up into the pot of stew, though no one knew what they were. How many of you fellas have been out in a hunting camp before and you share the, the cooking details and somebody puts a big pot on and, and somebody then asks the question, well, what's in that? And they'll say things along these lines. Well, they don't really know. Or maybe they'll say to you, you don't want to know. That's exactly what was happening right here. He's made a big pot of stew and nobody knew what was in it and they were pretty concerned. Listen to what happens. The stew was poured out for the men, but as they began to eat it, they cried out, Oh, man of God, there is death in the pot, and they could not eat it. I know I have been in this exact same scenario. There is death in the pot, and they could not eat it. Elisha said, Get some flour. He put it into the pot and said, Serve it to the people to eat, and there was nothing harmful in the pot. God cares about drinking water. God cares about stew. That's the smallness of God. Maybe that still isn't really striking home for you. Go over to chapter 6 with me. Verse 1. Company of the prophets said to Elisha, Look, the place where we meet with you is too small for us. Let us go to the Jordan where each of us can get a pole and let us build a place there for us to live. And he said, Go. Then one of them said, Won't you please come with your servants? I will, Elisha replied. And he went with them. They went to the Jordan and began to cut down trees. As one of them was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. Oh, my Lord, he cried out, it was borrowed. The man of God asked, where did it fall? When he showed him the place, Elisha cut a stick and threw it there, made the iron float, lifted out, he said. Then the man reached out his hand and he took it. God cares about drinking water. God cares about nasty stew. And God cares about borrowed axe heads. That's small stuff. In the smallness of our prayer life, we can bring these types of things before the Lord, but most of us don't. Most of us stop short of it. So let me show you a way to make that work. In your worship folder, there's a, a paper called Sermon Notes. If you'll pull that out, hopefully you already have it out, but if you'll pull that out, you'll see that there are five numbers, one through five at the top of the list. You can begin to write things on that list that are very small things of your life that you up to this point have never talked to God about and then commit yourself to pray about them. Here's what you have to know. God is completely concerned with your family situation. God is completely concerned with the issues that you deal with at work. God is completely concerned about all the relationships of your life. He's concerned about your future. He's concerned about your history. He is concerned about your hopes, 
He's concerned about your dreams, not just the dreams that you have for yourself, but the dreams that you have for other people that are very close to you. And God is very concerned about the desires of your heart. He's concerned, even as we sang a few minutes ago, about the things that you delight in. God really is. And they can become a part of your prayer life. If you'll take a list like this and say, here are five things that I have never really talked to God about because they have seemed too small, and you write them out and then begin to pray about those things, you watch what happens with each one of them. Because in smallness, in smallness, you begin to see the Lord. You aim small that you might miss small. I would encourage you to reserve one of those for the things that you delight in. Because God wants to share in those things as well. I'll illustrate it for you. On Friday, I took the day off. I'd been invited to go on a pheasant hunt in Spokane or over in Washington with some fellas. And I was pretty excited to do that. I have a, a new puppy, just a, a 10-month-old puppy that, quite honestly, we've had a lot of concern about when it comes to hunting, and this is why, because she is given to great napping. That seems to be the gift of her life. Now, this is a lab puppy. She's 10 months old. She's never chewed up anything in our house. I've tried. I put Tina's shoes in front of her all the time, and I try to get her to chew them up. I've shown her the couch, thinking, tear the couch up do something. I've taken her feet and put them on the counter in our house just so she'll look like a dog. That's all I've wanted. Just be a dog because I want to take you hunting. She acts like a person all the time. She is the most laid back dog I have ever seen in my life ever. She is not a 10 month old lab and I want her to hunt because that is a great delight in my life to go bird hunting. So we went over there and I took my dog and I, she went through this training time and, and she showed some wonderful promise. She really did. In fact, the guy that was training her said, this dog's got great potential. And I thought, yep, I picked her. I always knew it. Never <laughs> doubted it. This is wonderful. In fact, I was reading the other day, this, you can have this for free. I was reading in Gundog Magazine this article about how to pick a puppy and one of the things that they said is no matter what you do, do not take your wife or children with you to pick out a gun dog because they're going to fall in love with one and you're going to say that's not the right one and you try to get that dog out of their hands. That's exactly what happened here. Tina and Katie picked Parker and off we go with a dog that's on her back all the time sleeping. But she showed great potential. And this, this trainer said, wow, I'm really impressed. I would love to work with this dog. And I delighted in my dog. And then we went out and we were hunting and I was delighting in the fellowship and delighting in watching these birds fly. And that's, that's the way it is for me, hunting with these guys. I delight in the entire experience. And we got home Friday night and I laid down in bed and I thanked God for it. And I said, Lord, I delighted in the events of today. Thank you. You do not have to over-spiritualize the things that go on that list. You can just be real because God wants to know you in a real way. That's where your delights help Him do that. If you delight in something, you put it on that list and you talk to God about it. And then you talk to Him about everything else because when you aim small, you will miss small. And God will do great things.